Well, hello, everyone. You're listening to Renaissance Online Radio. It's been a few days since we recorded a podcast, and that's because my family and I took a trip up to New York City, and it's the first time I'd ever been. We went up to visit my uh, mother-in-law, who's getting medical care for a few months in New York City, and we uh, took the daughters, uh, who are two and four years old, and my wife and I and the girls went up and spent two days. We visited some of the better-known spots like Times Square and Wall Street, the Financial District, the 9-11 Memorial. We didn't go into the museum, but the pools were uh, striking enough. I can't say much about being at the memorial because I really don't have words for it. It uh, was very difficult. If you've been there, you probably understand what I'm talking about, and if you haven't, you should go once. As a country boy, you might say, who lives in the country on a farm, I found that New York City was phenomenally claustrophobic to me. I really couldn't wait to leave, mostly because I had no sense of autonomy, no sense of being able to really take care of myself. The mandatory interdependency between people uh, was not comfortable to me. I probably could learn to deal with it if I was forced to, but it's not in my nature to live in a space where I am not able to find my own water, grow my own food. It's a challenge there even to find a place to use the bathroom if you're not uh, if, if you're not at uh, your own hotel or in a restaurant where you're eating. I am by nature a pretty intense introvert, and it is difficult to be introverted and be, at least for me, to be in a place like New York City where people are everywhere. You have to interact with people on a minute-by-minute basis, even, even more often than that if you're on the street getting around. You don't jump in your car for a moment of solitude because, well, cars are not convenient there within the city, uh, and parking is expensive if you can find it. Even parking our little our little airplane outside of the city was quite a bit more expensive than we're used to paying other places. In uh, Linden, where we parked it, the charge was $20 a day plus $25 landing. And I'm used to not paying a landing fee in most airports I go into. And between 5 and $10 a night um, parking. So it was it was not uh, an inexpensive place to be. Uh, the hotel where we were, we stayed in in one of the you might say cheaper hotels, and the space was two queen beds and about a two foot wide walkway between the beds and around the beds, um, and that was about it. And that was two hundred and fifty dollars a night. I understand the market forces that lead to that. But it seems so unnatural, at least to me. I'm happy for those people who can be happy there and uh, and content there, but uh, I suspect the mantra of better living through chemistry helps that 
work out a little bit better for a lot of folks. The prepper in me kept imagining what would happen if the systems that support life in the city were to fail. It brought back the recollection of a power outage in 2003. There have been others, but there was a big power outage outage in 2003 during the summer. And of course, power outages are only important when they're in the winter or the summer when people are depending upon systems in order to heat or cool. Of course, with modern construction, there really aren't times of the year when you don't need the ventilation system of the building that you're in because throwing open the windows and letting the air through is not even an issue, not, not even an option for a lot of buildings today because of the desire for energy efficiency and this whole idea that buildings shouldn't breathe, which is great as long as there's never any pollution inside the building, like formaldehyde from the plastics uh, or the plywoods or the other construction materials, or microbiological pollutants such as mold spores or even contaminants within the air conditioning systems. Uh, And what leaps to mind with that would be Legionnaire's disease, where the bacteria that causes it grows happily in water that uh, collects in air conditioning systems. The point being that the life support systems in a city such as New York are vital. And once they fail, then you either have the option of trying to stay alive within the space or bug out. Of course, when you have that many people living in that same space, plus those people who have come to visit, uh, and everyone is trying to bug out at once, that can set up its own set of problems. So being someone who is generally self-reliant, you can imagine my reaction to being there. While I was there, a friend posted an article that quoted a book by Wendell Berry. The book is entitled The Unsettling of America, Culture and Agriculture. And it really spoke to me even more than it would have anyway because of its posting being juxtaposed against my current visit in the city at the time that I read it. It talked about why people aren't happy. And I'll just quote some of the article. The disease of the modern character is specialization. Looked at from the standpoint of the social system, the aim of specialization may seem desirable enough. The aim is to see that the responsibilities of government, law, medicine, engineering, agriculture, education, etc. are given into the hands of the most skilled, best prepared people. But there's a catch. A system of specialization requires the abdication to specialists of various competences and responsibilities that were once personal and universal. Thus, the average, one is tempted to say the ideal, American citizen now consigns the problem of food production to agriculturalists and agribusinessmen, the problems of health to doctors and sanitation experts, 
the problems of education to school teachers and educators, the problems of conservation to conservationists, and so on. This supposedly fortunate citizen is therefore left with only two concerns, making money and entertaining himself. He earns money typically as a specialist, working an eight-hour day at a job the quality or consequences of which somebody else, or perhaps more typically nobody else, will be responsible. And, not surprisingly, since he can do so little else for himself, he is even unable to entertain himself, for there exists an enormous industry of exorbitantly expensive specialists whose purpose is to entertain him. And this is exactly what I observed when I was in New York. Everyone has a specialty, and all of their other concerns are taken care of by someone else who has a specialty in any one of those concerns. This is the opposite of my entire approach to life, and so that's probably the biggest dissonance I ran into uh, there and run into on a daily basis even, even in my normal life. That's probably one of the big appeals that farming holds for me. In farming, at least as I have experienced it in the four years I have been learning about farming and practicing farming as possible, I've found that my skills in uh, repairing equipment have been invaluable. I have to fix things almost as much as I use them, which is partly a reflection of my being hard on equipment, partly a reflection on my land being hard on equipment. Here in northeast Tennessee, the bedrock tends to find its way to the surface uh, at somewhat random points in places like my fields, and that can be very damaging to hay cutters and other other farm implements. So I've spent uh, spent a fair bit of time replacing things I've broken and welding things back together. It's kind of fun if you enjoy it, and lucky for me, I, I do. I will post a link to that article in the uh, description that I'll post with this podcast, so if you'd like to go back and read it, I do encourage you to do that, and you'll be able to find the link there in the description. In American politics, one of the major dividing lines uh, between groups of people is the rural versus urban cultures. The urban cultures come from a paradigm very much as I've been describing with New York City, where interdependence and cooperation are mandatory, and unless they are there, the city cannot function. Specialization is expected, and depending on specialists for even our own entertainment, is the hallmark of city life, is one of the hallmarks, I should say, of city life. Whereas in the rural setting, we tend to be self-reliant and celebrate individualism. We entertain ourselves. Bluegrass music, for example, is what farmers would do at the end of a long day to provide entertainment for themselves and their families. We tend to depend on ourselves for our own protection, and this tends to be out of necessity because by the time the police arrive, all that's left to do is write a report in many cases. So when we have 
a president who has only, as his own personal reference, the experience of an urban dweller who tries to project that worldview over the entire country, it is no surprise that a lot of people stand up and oppose him uh, from the from the rural uh, states and from the rural areas of states. In fact, when you look at uh, county breakdown maps uh, of election results over the past uh, three elections at least, if not more, the blue, the Democrat vote, is found almost exclusively in major urban areas where, of course, there are a whole lot of people with a whole lot of votes, and so they have an inordinate influence, you might say, on the, on the vote compared to the landmass. And so what ends up happening and what we're seeing, what we've been seeing during the Obama administration is the entire country run as if it were a city with little care given to the culture of rural places, the needs of rural places. For example, the clean water legislation, or not legislation, but the clean water rules that have come out, they're based on the concept of navigable waterways, except that that definition has been so skewed that navigable waterway refers to the foot-wide creek that's coming out of the spring on my property that feeds into eventually a navigable waterway. And so that has given the federal government jurisdiction over almost every aspect of rural life from an urban perspective. Now, the beauty of what we call federalism, where the federal government is responsible only for international issues and interactions between states, conflicts between states, uh, the making regular of trade between states, that concept allows for and is designed to encourage and uh, not interfere with local rules to deal with local problems. Now, I may be a little bit uh, crazy, but to me that makes sense. Why should Washington influence the little farm that I live on in Northeast Tennessee uh, beyond making sure that I'm not invaded by foreign governments or that uh, Virginia doesn't put a uh, an obstruction uh, up to block trade between myself and uh, a neighbor who might live in Virginia. And this applies uh, especially to gun law. When you, when you look at gun regulation, the reasons why a city may want to restrict guns, that makes sense. I mean, when a kid can, on the black market, get their fingers on 
a weapon very easily. Yeah, that's a problem. But I could argue that it's more of a problem of why wasn't that kid raised to respect guns? And why would a kid who has a gun be a scary thing? Yeah, I know. People are stupid. Kids are even more stupid than adults um, when it comes to doing irresponsible things. I get that. However, I'm not willing to give up my right of self-defense just because uh, Mayor Bloomberg in New York City wants to make it not easy for some kid in Hell's Kitchen to get his hands on a gun. You know, we uh, we hear a lot of screaming about broad brushes being used to to paint too broadly. Well, how can federal law not be too broad a brush? We are a massive country with a a broad range of uh, problems and uh, ways that things can be solved. How can Washington provide a one-size-fits-all solution? This is an argument I've been making for uh, at least a decade or more, and I wish people would take the time to understand that. We don't need every problem to be solved from Washington. Let the local people deal with it. Now, while I was in New York, I thought about uh, the Occupy Wall Street uh, protests from a couple of years ago, and it was interesting to me being there to see how wealth actually has been redistributed. And it's been redistributed through the banks. Most of the money that I saw being spent in New York was was being spent, uh, I'm talking about the big money, was being spent by Chase Manhattan, TD Ameritrade, um, J.P. Morgan, well, that's Chase, um, Bank of America, all these too-big-to-fail banks who are making ridiculous amounts of money in the mortgage industry and in trading. And a lot of that money, what's not being created out of thin air by the Federal Reserve, is coming from, no, my mortgage, your mortgage, all of these these, uh, financial instruments that are designed to make a lot of money by skimming it on interest rates and fees and all those extra charges they get they get tacked on to uh, to your banking. So anyway, it was uh, something that I I could not help but notice. And you know, if you're if you're working within the urban paradigm only, I really see how they could complain about wealth redistribution. It's uh, it's an interesting thing with contracts. I'm currently uh, dealing with a purchase, and for the first time, I have an attorney helping me and representing me in a purchase. And I read the purchase agreement, the purchase contract, and it was the first time that I'd read a contract that really felt like it was written to protect me and not some faceless corporation that had drawn up a blanket uh, contract for 
uh, for example, mortgage or credit card, and, oh, it's either take it or leave it. Kind of like the end-user license agreement that you have to check agree to on pretty much any piece of software you purchase or otherwise download that you clicked the box that said you read it and agreed to it, and you know perfectly well you never read a word of it. Because if you did, what would you know that you didn't know before? Probably nothing, uh, because it's written in language that may or may not make any sense. And your only choice is to say yes. Well, I have to wind this down. I'm going to get the girls to bed, and then my wife and I are going to watch the next uh GOP debate tonight coming out of um, Las Vegas this evening. I'm curious to see how this goes. A lot of things have changed in the race since the last debate. Um, We're seeing Trump continuing to lead, and the rhetoric that he is leading becoming more and more toxic, which uh, it's it, honestly, it's scary. I'll go down one more, one more rabbit hole here, and then I'll wind it down. When we teach our soldiers to kill, the first thing that we have to do is teach them to see the enemy as less human or not human. And what are we seeing happen right now? Through the media, through social media, we are seeing different groups of people, be they Muslims, be they black, be they uh, whites, you name it. You're part of a group that other people are telling each other are less human, are less worthy than others. I fear that we are being set up for at least a civil war within our own country, if not more external war. I keep asking myself, why are we hearing so many things that dehumanize a particular group? And I'm just very concerned that what is going on is simply preparation for bloodshed. I hope I'm wrong, but I hope you think about that when you hear the next report and the report after that and the next piece of rhetoric coming out of any particular candidate's mouth. On one hand, I understand that desire to scream at someone who isn't like me, who represents a group of people or a class of people whose religion or culture may be the same as some people who have hurt me or who have hurt other people of my group or culture. But in the end, where does that go? What do we do with it? Do we take it to where that rhetoric leads? I hope not, because where that rhetoric leads means that we're going to kill people. Or other people are going to kill us. And there is no way to wind that down once it starts without a lot of heartache and without a lot of bloodshed. I don't want that. I don't want that for my kids, for my family, 
I don't want that for my listeners. So let's think about where we're going with the current, uh, well, let's be specific, with what Trump is talking about. Is there reason to be afraid? Sure. Yeah, there's, there's people trying to kill us. But not everyone who believes in Islam is a jihadi. And we have to remember that. Anyway, that's about all I've got for now. I hope you all have a good night. Enjoy the debate if you listen to it. But be thoughtful. Be thoughtful about where we're taking our lives and our nation. I don't think we have a good choice in the leading candidates on either party. I would like to see, of course, uh, Dr. Carson pull forward, pull ahead. I really don't see him leading us down the path that uh, some of the other candidates are trying to lead us down. But we'll see. I see dark clouds ahead. Let's just keep our consciences clean. And that's all we have time for today. If you'd like to participate in the podcast by sending your question or comment, please do so at renaissanceonlineradio at gmail.com or by leaving a comment below. Thank you.